Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the podcast for the common good. Our hope and heart here is that we're building bridges and collaborations um, across the city and state. We want to bring people together in a way to bring health and flourishing to our city and society. Really excited today to have uh, my friend and Seattle Mariners outfielder, Braden Bishop, with us. Uh, Braden is uh, just an amazing person who's got a great heart and uh, just incredible talent for the Mariners. And really excited to have him join us today on the podcast. And uh, Braden, thanks so much for taking taking some time for being with us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, talk about some important things. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about um, what's happening in our in our country, in our state, in our cities, um, about racial injustice, um, how we can come together, how we can provide for um, our black brothers and sisters, and especially even as white people, how we can uh, raise our voices in a in a powerful, humble way, and bring change that's needed um, across our cities, state, and country. And uh, Braden um, has has shared some just some really powerful uh, comments that I that I've observed and seen. And we'll get into that in a second here. And so I'm really excited to have Braden just share. Um, uh, with us today, of course, Braden with the Mariners, who we have, you know, if, if you don't know, the Seattle Mariners have, have the most uh, black players um, on any major league baseball roster and some of the most amazing people uh, you'll ever meet. And I know, Braden, you've had many conversations with many of those guys just about their experiences, both in major league baseball and in growing up. And uh, just appreciate you as a, as a person and teammate. Before we get into that, Braden, if you wouldn't mind just taking a minute Share a little bit just about, you know, just give us your, uh, your story in, in a nutshell, and um, that'd be great. For sure. Uh, so I was born in Los Angeles and then very early on moved uh, to San Francisco Bay Area. I uh, grew up in Palo Alto, and then my mom was a movie producer. Uh, my dad was in law enforcement, and then uh, my mom was doing movies everywhere. So she was in Toronto, Montreal. Lawrence, Kansas, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, New York. So what would happen is I would go to school and then in the summertime, uh, we would go up for two months and spend two months uh, where she was making movies. So I got to see, you know, all different parts of the country. I got to see different countries, um, you know, got to see a super like blue collar, hardworking. You know, I saw what leadership looked like when I was, you know, six years old, you know, um, and I saw what a leader who cared for people looked like. And that was my mom, you know, from knowing the, uh, you know, the, the craft service, like the food service, uh, you know, knowing all the workers names and she's the executive producer, uh, you know, to the actors, you know, it was all the same to her. And uh, that's when, you know, leadership clicked for me. So I always had a passion in that. And then obviously my, my dad being in law enforcement, obviously, you know, back in, the 90s you know it was a little different you know climate for policing than it is now um and then you know like both parents played sports so i was constantly you know in uh all different sports soccer football basketball baseball hockey um you know the yeah the time in canada played a lot of hockey nice. it was uh, a lot of fun uh my dad worked uh he was uh, one of the heads of security for the National Hockey League Players Association. Um, so we'd spend a lot of times at Sharks games in San Jose. And, 
and then you know played football and bass or football and baseball in high school and i went to a you know private predominantly white high school uh, catholic school in mountain view uh, in the bay area and then i went to the university of washington played baseball uh, for three years and then got drafted yeah go dogs uh, and then you know i out of 30 teams I somehow managed to get drafted by the one five minutes down the road so uh, it was pretty cool though um, just all the same fans pretty much um, so it made it made the transition easy yeah that's very cool and now we don't have to get into a lot of this but right now you know you're back in Seattle your second spring training summer training summer camp whatever it's getting called and uh, getting ready for uh, some some baseball which is which is great and terrifying at the same time <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah we'll see how it goes but we're here so yeah try and make the most of it well i appreciate you coming on you know i um you know we're uh follow you on twitter and uh, if, if you if anyone is listening in follow follow Bray. what's your twitter handle at braden bishop uh, at braden bishop seven seven. seven yeah yeah but you know i just over the last uh, couple months been seeing you know your the things that you're sharing and saying um, um, on Twitter and uh, regarding what we're seeing in our country around racial injustice and systemic racism. And um, it has really been, it's been really powerful to me to see um, you use your, you know, your voice and your platform to, to bring awareness and to, and to stand up, you know, for, um, for a, a long history, you know, of, uh, of racism and and what impressed me is that um, and what I want to talk about and get into is that you uh, you know I feel like you you've done that in a in a very modeled a strong powerful humble attractive approach and how you interact with people and and how you share and what you say and I think we need a lot of that today I mean I think the podcast for the common good the common good we're we're trying to build a a greater good for everyone and how we can build bridges together. Right. You know, in our country, in our state, there's a lot of things that um, we we're ignorant about, you know, like I know myself as a, probably like you grew up in a predominantly white community and, um, and it wasn't until high school that I became more aware of, of what, what really the history of our country is and, and what my black, uh, you know, brothers and sisters have experienced and, and over the course of the years, you know, there's just a, a certain level of ignorance that, that I wasn't aware of and maybe the same is true of you. And I think the same is true of some people in our country too, that, you know, how can we build knowledge and how can we build, um, and do, build um, awareness and do it in a way that is powerful, strong, and humble. And I just, I appreciate that about um, what you are doing and what you're saying um, and, and knowing that you're going to um, lose fans or people are not going to be too happy about it, which, which is the case. You know, I've seen, I've seen some of the, you know, the interactions and, and not all of it is, is pretty right. Right. Um, and so maybe um, Brayden, I just, I would love to just kind of hear your, and we'll get into some details, but tell me what, what it was that um, like, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going out there and I'm going to, I'm going to speak out. I'm going to, I'm going to use my voice. I'm going to use my platform. Maybe just share a little bit of kind of your 
thought process on that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to have been around people as I grew that were educated in the racial injustices that occurred throughout the history of our world and our country. So when, when I was in high school, I had a, uh, a teacher, a history teacher who taught, you know, about Juneteenth, you know, he taught the civil rights movement, you know, what really happened, you know, he's, he taught about, um, the, uh, false incrimination of African Americans off word of mouth. Um, he, you know, taught about the 13th amendment and how it was, um, basically redesigned, reimagined, and renamed uh, to enslave black people and uh, for petty crimes. And, you, I, you know, I learned all this and I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was never, I wasn't raised in a political household. You know, I was not political myself. Uh, I'm still not really. And and then I got to college and I went to, you know, Seattle's a very liberal city. And I had a, a couple history professors that also taught just real, you know, they, they taught about the hurt and the suffering, the enslavement, the shackling of African-Americans in this country. And it always just fascinated me. Just, you know, being, being a Christian man, being somebody who cares about people, you know, who, who wants to serve people, um, it always just shocked me. Like, how can people, you know, have this, like, hate in their heart um, for a group of people because of the color of their skin? And I always, I've always felt, um, you know, I've always seen the hurt through these different, you know, whether it be, you know, the, the killing of, you know, a George Floyd, um, an Eric Garner, uh, you know, all, I mean, every, everything going on in our country right now, you yeah. see this, you know, group of people crying out, you know, they have been for decades and we just have people, you know, it just always just seems to like go by the wayside, you know, we're just going to keep going, you know, we're not politicians on both sides, say so we're going to do this, this and that. And then, you know, it just happens again and again and again. And, uh, you know, I think Colin Kaepernick taking a knee, you know, he, you know, he probably knew, like, okay, I'm going to take this stand. It's much bigger than sports. I'm, you know, I'm probably going to be criticized and ridiculed. And no matter how many times I explain why I'm doing this, people won't hear it because they'll choose not to, the ignorance you're talking about. And he probably knew that, you know, his time in the NFL, you know, it was probably it was like, I'm sure he came to a point where it was like, this is bigger than, than my career. You know, people are hurting, and I can be that voice. And, you know, he did, and as he saw, it's exactly what happened. You know, he was basically forced out of the NFL. Yeah. And uh, and so so just, you know, taking all that into account, uh, you feel like sometimes, you know, as an athlete, it's like, is it my place? You know, and you're all stick to sports and, and all that. And – more uh i think as an athlete i'm blessed to do it but i'm a human first 
yeah. and I'm going to be a human longer than I'm an athlete. So, uh, you know, it came a point where, you know, you see the, you see George Floyd, you know, get murdered and, um, you see a, a group of people, uh, crying out again. And the biggest thing for me was like, I'm tired of it. You know, like I'm tired of seeing these people hurt, the people, people I care about, you know, people I play with, people who I've played with, who have grown up with, they keep crying out yeah. and like, who's standing up for them other than them. Right. And I, you know, I just, I'm relatively educated um, just with like how I told you just growing up and being lucky enough to have teachers who invested in that part of culture. And what happened was I just, you know, one put out, I think it started on Instagram. You know, I just was like, I don't know what the solution is, but I want to be a part of it. I yeah. promise. Like I'll do whatever I need to, but I'll never understand, you know, like you guys do, but um here, like I see you as black men and women. Yeah. Um and then it kind of just trickled over to Twitter and and then I started seeing the backlash, which I knew was gonna happen, but I think it also proves a point of the superiority of the white race. They they feel uncomfortable right now mm-hmm. because they can feel a mentality changing. And I've talked to a lot of ex and current teammates who are African-American, both in football and baseball. And they, they're encouraged by the, the shifting of the mentality of our generation. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, as well as I do, it starts in the heart and you know, the type of people that we are growing into. And there's just, there's not, there's not a place, you know, for people who have a bigoted mindset and honestly, if you come on, the way I was looking at it was, if I'm going to speak out to encourage and lift up the African-American community and try and open eyes of people in the white community to what they've been through and are going through, and people want to, you know, put up a the blinders of ignorance yeah. and act like it's not a thing because it doesn't affect them or they don't see it in their communities, well... I was going to make sure they knew. Yeah. And and the problem is, is was I ever going to change their mind? Probably not. But people needed to see that people actually think that racism doesn't exist. Right. Right. But we have this long history to prove it. And like I, the thing I didn't understand was people would come at me with, I need to educate myself. And then I just, I, for the life of me, I, I, I just don't understand that, yeah. you know? And, and the thing is, is there's so much psychologically behind this. And that's honestly where the biggest hurt of this community lies. Yeah. And that can't be seen. Right, right. Well, I think that the thing that, it, like you mentioned, like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to change anyone's mind. Um, and, but I think the approach that you have, which I think we need across the country, which is a, because typically what we see in, in so many ways of, um, when is m- most people on issues dig their heels in, right? Mm-hmm. And 
and are unwilling, especially when you get into the shouting matches and it's, yeah, and you just sure. you come after you come after someone and you call people names or whatever it is, right? That's when people are just like, no. In fact, they'll they'll become even more entrenched in their view. But absolutely. But I appreciate just your engagement, the way that you approach it and the way your heart behind it, which to me it comes out and is clear. And those are the things that are gonna are gonna help people see, right? And they're gonna give people the um, the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm gonna look into this. I do. I, I want to listen to what um, you have to say. And I just I just think we need more and more of that. Um, you know, I I've got a, a number of you know people who I know in my life, um, both family members and 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 friends and. Um, you know, people who would probably be, you know, you would, you would say, oh man, just good people, right? They're just, they're not like, they're not like against what's, what's happening, but maybe they're not necessarily for it either, yeah, right? right? They're kind of in the, kind of in the middle on it. And, and partly, um, and, and I've heard this said numerous times of like, man, I, I think I just haven't seen that, right? Like people haven't seen the kind of, you know, racism or the examples that, you know, again, black people are sharing, right? They're like, I've never, you know, I've never seen that. And so therefore it doesn't impact them at a hard level uh, because they really haven't experienced it firsthand. Um, And in a lot of ways, because maybe they don't, aren't close to um, have close black friends. Um, But I think I've, I've seen that and I've heard that so many times now recently of like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, of course I'm about, you know, racial justice hundred percent, but I think this is getting a little overboard now. Like I think we're, we're taking this thing a little too far. And, and I just, I don't, I don't know if I can buy into um, the level of racism that people are saying exists in our country because I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I've got that too. And the thing that, so like I said, a big piece of this is psychological. And what that is, is pacifism. So because you don't see it, you either think it doesn't exist or you think it's too much. Mm-hmm. And nothing will ever be as much as, imagine being in the early 1900s, the mid 1900s, for gosh sake. and having your brother hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's too much. Mm. And that is what I'm saying about, and lynching isn't even a federal hate crime yet. Mm. We still have, and this is, this is where the political side comes in. I don't think it's everything. We still have senators voting it down. And like, that is amazing to me. Um, that that's too much yeah having people stand up because they want equality is not too much and if it makes you uncomfortable good because that's exactly what we need and you know the there's so much and there i mean there's hundreds of studies uh there's a, a stanford professor just wrote an unbelievable one talking about the seven factors of uh racism in america um a lot of them are psychological, you know, uh, 
you know, talking about power and hierarchy and segregation and factions and um, pacifism. Um, and, and you don't see a lot of these, mm-hmm. um, especially the pacifism. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, if you say racism doesn't exist, you're passively being racist because it, it does and yeah. you don't need to see it. You know, it doesn't need to be something that, you know, you walk out your door and see, but it happens. And, you know, I growing up in the Bay area and playing football, you know, driving, you know, with a couple of my teammates, you know, and, and being pulled over and them asking whose car is this, you know, how much have we been drinking? when we're just driving, but we yeah. have four African-Americans in the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't overshadow them, you know, like he's not just going to let us go. Cause I'm the white guy, you know? Um, and, or to the point where, you know, my African-American friend is standing outside my house, you know, in San Carlos and somebody asks, you know, who, what are you doing? You know, whose house is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't look, Mm-hmm. like he belongs there you know and yeah. and that, those are just a few examples uh you know of you know how does that affect somebody psychologically as a 16 17 year old right you know getting profiled like that right. because of the color of his skin so um just because you don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and you you can't be like imagine Imagine everything that the African-American community has been through from lynchings to from slavery to lynchings to and shackle, you know, to them rearranging slavery to convict leasing, um, you know, to the 13th Amendment, you know, uh, having a clause in there, you know, that talks about when you're in prison, you can be used for free labor and you know, they've been through all this, that is too much. So like, what are, how can we as white people say, oh, I'm so tired of this. Right. Like, I'm sure they're pretty tired too. Well, it's, it's, it's dehumanization. Exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, we, we know from scripture, right. That, um, you know, that God created all of us with um, equal dignity, value, and worth. And for mm-hmm. hundreds of years, I mean, just like you're talking about, I mean, that rips out dignity, you know, yeah. it rips away value, it rips away worth. And Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're, you're so right. I mean, it, 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 I can't, you can't imagine the psychological toll um, when someone, uh, someone would say, well, gosh, I never owned a slave or I never did that. Or I, I never did those things. It's like, yeah. But that you don't have to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, this is, this is ingrained in the fabric of our nation, you know, and there's obviously America, there's no country that's great or perfect. Right. I mean, I mean, we're the idea of America is awesome. Right. And we need to work on that. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. You know, and, and, and I still love America and we got to get in, let's work on this. Let's become yeah. the America we should be, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing is like, we can be great, but for as long as people, you know, as long as the majority wants to sit there and I'm so tired of this, 
like can we just move on like when you have that like you know the the blinders of ignorance it nothing will get fixed and then it just keeps pushing on and on and on as you can see because we don't want to deal with the the issue at hand because it makes people uncomfortable and it makes the psychological part of the white race being superior people some people feel like they're losing that and that's what makes them so aggressive yeah. um, and, and I see it <laughs> I mean yeah. towards me yeah. so um, it's definitely we can get there and I feel like a lot of mentalities are are changing mm-hmm. um, but it I mean it's gonna take it's gonna take changing the hearts of people for yeah. sure I mean, you mentioned, it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, your history prof at UW, and I was a history major. I went to a liberal arts college down in LA, yeah. and, and man, I tell you what, I didn't get much in terms sure. of what, you know, Juneteenth, what's that? Right. Like, I mean, there's a lot of things that were completely um, not a part of anything that I studied and I felt like I, and I've had this, you know, over, over time, you know, because, you know, it's almost like step at a time becoming more and more aware. And that, and then I think it was about seven years ago, I kind of had the, the kind of the, the, the aha moment or the smelling salt moment that was just, I couldn't believe was I was, um, I was, I was planting a church downtown Seattle and I was going to, I was part of a, an awesome movement, a diverse uh, church planting movement of, of pastors and, and led by um, this awesome um, black guy, Eric Knox, um, down in Portland. And uh, he used to play for the Blazers back in the day. And um, we, over the course of like two or three days, we watched, he, they had us watch this documentary called Race Profile of an Illusion that PBS did. And I tell you, if you've never seen it, go watch it. I have, I've, I've, I've had other people watch it. I make people watch it. It's just a amazing historical context. And there was a number of things that were kind of things that I felt like were just aha moments in that. But one of them that was that I, I really learned that I just, I had heard about, but they went into great detail. Um, because some people say, well, it doesn't really impact. This is a long time ago, right? This doesn't mm-hmm. impact black people today. And yeah, and you and you look at um, how I mean the the first off thing was how that I didn't realize how the real estate industry, the government and the real estate industry conspired to, and it was actually law to keep black people from having real estate. Yeah. And I was just like. I couldn't believe that this was an actual government backed agenda right. to keep black people from having real estate. After World War II, the GIs are coming home from World War II and they have the GI bill so that they can get by their first house as suburbia is blowing up. And, but black GIs can't, they can't use their GI bill to get real estate. And then of course, that's the whole history of redlining yeah. and, and districting and getting, you know, getting black people into certain areas of cities and, and denying them places where they can live 
and create, I mean, we created ghettos, right? And, and then what, and then guess what? Property taxes. Now the, the, the values of those neighborhoods go down. So property taxes go down. So then the schools aren't as good. And so they're not as good at teachers and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just this whole cycle that I was just like, all of a sudden it was just like, Oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And, and that impacts us all today, right? Impacts black people today. The number one way that you transfer wealth in America is real estate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you pass it from one generation to the next. Well, guess what? They weren't allowed to have real estate. And so, I mean, anyway. No, I know. I know. Was, the... there, was there a moment for you, like kind of a, was there any kind of smelling salt moment for you? Um, I think when I learned about the 13th Amendment and, you know, how it said that all people are, are equal, slavery is no more, and, you know, and then they throw in the claws in there, um, you know, talking about that, you know, you can still be used as free labor if you're, in, uh, you know, arrested. And that was all, I remember learning the 13th Amendment and be like, that's so weird. Like, why would they put that clause? Like, they're going to end slavery. Why did that happen? And, um, and then, you know, I started learning about each, uh, you know, presidency, you know, post 13th Amendment. And there was 17 Republican presidents and, 10 Democrat, Democratic presidents, and we're still fighting these issues today. And that's what showed me, like, this isn't, this is not political. While things start at a local level, you know, as to who you vote in and, you know, how they shape their acts and policies, and then obviously, you know, as you get higher into government, state, federal, but to... You know, to see, and then the third, 13th on Netflix came out. And then you learn about how you went from, you know, the war on drugs, you know, to, you know, imprison people for petty crimes, you know, just like they did right after the 13th Amendment was passed. Um, because, I mean, you got to think about it, like when the 13th Amendment was passed, the main, the main um, method of, economic growth was the work of free labor of slaves so now all of a sudden there's no you know slaves are free well what do these you know slave owners do you know where does their money come from now and they have a clause in there next thing you know you're arresting all these slaves for you know jaywalking and petty crimes and next thing you know they're right back on the in the uh in the fields or at the plantations, you know, doing exactly what they're doing, but instead of being a slave, they're now a least convict. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just amazing that, you know, we basically just renamed it. Um, and that, that was the eye opening moment for me. Then watching 13th and seeing how, you know, the war on drugs and uh, how that led to mass incarceration, you know, we had, 200,000 people in jail in the eighties and were, you know, over 3 million something, um, now. And it's, I mean, it, 
like you said, just from like redlining and property taxes going down because uh, property value goes down and then schools go down and then what happens black on black crime goes up because you're, you've created a, the ghetto. Um, and, and I mean, these are all just eye opening. So when people say like systematic racism or systemic racism doesn't exist, I mean, what, what are we talking about right now? Right. 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 And it really all goes back to, kind of what we mentioned before. I mean, really just the, the dignity of, of humanity. I mean, it's really the core message, you know, of, of scriptures and, and the gospels. I mean, it's, that is it. I mean, that is, if that's what I tell my Christian friends, it's like, man, that is, this is the, this is as core as it gets. Cause you're, I mean, this is Genesis chapter one. This is the, yeah. this is it. This is what everything starts with the, the dignity and equal value and equal worth of humanity. I mean, this is the, this is the foundation. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, you hurt, you hurt for, you hurt for the African American community because you see, you know, what they, they go through and you see them crying out, you know, just wanting to be heard, you know, and to have, you know, so here's the thing is like when you say Black Lives Matter and you have people pushing back on it because it's a, you know, far left political organization, but it's like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, if I say Black Lives Matter, there is no organization. Um, and that's, you know, again, it's just another like smoke screen that people throw up to try and take you you know, off the course and, you know, when the George Floyd thing happened, I remember reaching out to all the guys on our team, all the African-American guys and just saying like, Hey, I, I, I see you guys as black men and I want to be there and I don't know how or what, you know, I don't know what resource and, or what I can lend, but I just want you to know that I'm, I'm with you guys. Um, like, please tell me what I can do. And just to have like the responses from guys like, man, we're used to it. Like, and it's been going on forever. Like that's normal. Like, I don't like, like that just doesn't sit well with me. Like that shouldn't be normal. And, you know, and that's, I think the biggest thing is when you, you say black lives matter, you don't have to be political. It doesn't have to be political. Right. You know, it's a human rights statement. That's right. That's right. So, That's exactly right. So, I mean, what's the, for you, what's the way forward? I mean, do you have, what? I mean, I, I think it definitely starts in the, in the heart, in the home, you know, how you raise your kids, how your kids raise their kids. You know, uh, I was talking to somebody on the team who has young kids and it's like, Hey, how you raise them is going to be the next generation. So like our mentality is changing now. So then, you know, his and hers mentality can be changed then mm-hmm. and then their kids' mentality. So now we're talking, you know, decades and decades later and we have a totally different mindset of, no, I absolutely do see color and I absolutely am privileged and I'm going to stand up against injustices that may not affect me directly, mm-hmm. injustices that I might not see, but I can feel the hurt 
of the African-American community. Um, but I, I also think it's really important to, especially in baseball, African-American kids aren't really given the same opportunity. I mean, it's an expensive game. The equipment's expensive. The tournaments are expensive. I mean, if you want to be seen, you got to pay money. And, and you know, that's a big issue. Um, and I think more white players should get involved in inner cities and, uh, and help, you know, African-American baseball players, um, you know, whether they need equipment or whether they need help, you know, paying for tournaments uh, to get seen. Um, because when I was growing up, there's a whole lot of studs that were African-American and they just couldn't, their parents couldn't afford it. You know, they, it was easier to play football. It was easier to play basketball, but they probably would have made it in baseball. And that's really, really important. And that's something I'm committed to is being involved in my community. Um, and helping some of these African-American players along because they deserve every opportunity that I got um, and that other white players get. Dude, thanks for sharing that, man. That's powerful. I I appreciate that. Appreciate you opening up, just opening up your heart and, and, you know, sharing with us. I mean, that, man, I just really appreciate it. Yeah, no, for sure. I I just think it's so – it's so important that we don't, you know, <laughs> we don't take our eye off the ball here. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you heard Malcolm Jenkins talk about it the other day that, you know, and this was obviously different than, you know, somebody making it political, but, you know, he just said you can't lose focus. And I think it's really important, you know, because as time, it's just like, you know, the other, you know, as this has happened in the past, you know, you have, protests and then it kind of just you know falls to the wayside and then it happens again and then you and you know it's this reoccurring cycle and I think it's really important this time that we don't lose focus and more than anything you can't let it get political because that is when things get completely lost and then you get distracted because you're getting stuff thrown at you from all different ways this is a human rights issue Absolutely. And that's how we have to treat it. That's right. That's right. Well, that will, that will be the, uh, the, the tagline for this, this podcast right there. You just came up with Perfect. it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it's good, man. I, I'm my, my main hope is that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of our friends in the, in the community, in the city, in the state, um, you know, particularly our white friends, you know, would, would watch this and, and, and just give a, a, a real listening ear, you know, to just a few of the things that we're talking about. And, and that's the hope. It's just kind of step by step, you know, and, um, and I just appreciate you taking the time. Can you, before we uh, get off, can you share a little bit about your shirt? And, yeah. and I know the amazing work you're doing in, in memory of your amazing mom. For sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it goes along with just wanting to serve people. And, you know, I'd always look for a cause to get out in my community and and help and try to make a difference. I didn't know it'd be so personal. And so my mom mom was diagnosed with 
Alzheimer's at 52, which less than 5% of the Alzheimer's population is affected uh, that early. And, you know, she went through it for four and a half years and then unfortunately lost her life last October to it. Um, but you, you know, I saw her struggle. I saw her struggle to embrace it. And that's kind of where I got the idea. Like, okay, I'm going to start a charity because I want her to see that people supported it and that she could embrace it. And it wasn't something she had to hide and something she could feel proud of. So then started the four mom charity in 2015, early 2015. And then kind of as my platform grew, the charity grew. And then, uh, you know, we went from, a uh, uh like an <laughs> our first event was a deadlifting event uh where we just kind of threw it together get like the like the exercise yeah, yeah just nice. like a, it was yeah it's just like a competition and you know i saw we could raise some money and then you know i saw people came out for it you know people like to support uh, and then it slowly grew to what it is now where we got four for employees, um, you know, we have, we're making a documentary where um, we are, we have an ambassador program now. Uh, our two ambassadors are Kelsey Plum, who went to University of Washington, now plays for the Las Vegas Aces in the WNBA. And then the other one's Brian Erlacher, who's obviously Hall of Fame linebacker from the Chicago Bears. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just been a crazy journey, but the, the, I think the overarching theme for me is how many people I've met, you know, that have been through it or going through it, have no hope, you know, have found hope, whether that be through us or, you know, somebody else, um, but just sharing stories and learning about people's journey through it because there's no manual, you know, there's no, there's no treatment there's no care. So, uh, it's a pretty tight knit community, the Alzheimer's community. And, you know, we've done a lot of really quality work, you know, I'm proud of our group and what we've been able to accomplish so far. And, you know, hopefully as my brother's platform grows and then hopefully as mine grows, you know, we can reach more people and affect more people. And, you know, our goal is to have a, uh, grant in my mom's name so it'd be the Susie Bishop Memorial Grant and it, it it's going to be tough this year because we haven't had any events but hopefully at some point we'll be able to go find a family that was you know struggled like mine did you know with my dad having to pick up two jobs and um, you know barely been able to pay her caregivers and her care uh, and we'll hopefully help a family so they can just, you know, hopefully get through it a little easier because um, yeah. it's a brutal disease. If anyone wanted to find out more or support you guys, mm -hmm. get get involved, get connected, what, what would be the best way? So we have, we're pretty much on every platform. Uh, on So our website is for the number four mom.org. Uh, pretty much all of our infos there. You can watch, you know, a trailer of the documentary. You can get apparel. 
Uh, you could donate. You can sponsor the documentary. Find out more about our ambassadors. And then obviously when we have events, you'll learn more about them there. And then on Twitter, it's 4mom underscore ALZ. Uh, on Instagram, it's the 4mom charity. Uh, and then uh, we have a YouTube channel, the 4mom charity, where we kind of post some behind the scenes stuff. And then uh, in, in uh, February of 2021, the documentary will come out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's doing the documentary? So we have a creative director, um, who's from Sacramento and he, uh, he's a, he's a wizard with the, with the, uh, camera. So we've, uh, we've filmed and see, so we've got, he's gotten some people in Seattle. He's got, uh, some people in the Bay area. So we just have uh, Arizona and a little bit more of the Bay Area left, and then we'll be good to go. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be a powerful one. I mean, the, I think the trailer is like two minutes, and I was crying like 10 seconds in. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, 